Central banks are the center of our universe. Just ask a central banker. They control interest rates, and interest rates control credit, and credit controls the entire economy. They push a button, and the outcomes that we want just come pouring out. Don't fight the Fed. But even that saying betrays an alarming amount of weakness. It's like a weakling pretending to be a bully. Don't you dare come near me, or I'll do something so spectacular you'll end up regretting it. It's all just a facade. It's a facade constructed out of fancy terms like moral suasion and transmission. Where did all of this come from? Well, in answering that question, we'll actually see how it's all just nonsense. But it's important nonsense nonetheless, especially as we try to navigate the next period in the real economy around the world and what that means for the marketplace. And we're going to start last month with the ECB's press conference. It's sort of the boilerplate language that Christine Lagarde uses whenever describing her monetary policies. The Governing Council will continue to follow a data-dependent approach to determining the appropriate level and duration of restriction, that's interest rates. In particular, the Governing Council's interest rate decisions will be based on its assessment of the inflation outlook in light of the incoming economic and financial data, the dynamics of underlying inflation, and, they always throw this in here, the strength of monetary policy transmission. In fact, the ECB has something called the Transmission Protection Instrument. And what is that? Well, the Bundesbank describes it this way. The TPI is intended to support the effective transmission of monetary policy and ensure that monetary policy stance is transmitted smoothly across all Euro area countries. It's not so easy and simple as pushing a button and everything, unicorns and rainbows come flying out. There's transmissions here. And that's a word that was used in August of 2011, as I reminded everyone in a recent video on the 30-year bond auction from August of 2011, because things at that time were not going well. Even though the Federal Reserve had increased the level of bank reserves to 1.6 trillion, there were massive amounts of funding difficulties. Here's what Bernanke said in August of 2011. I think a point that was somewhat underemphasized is that our transmission of monetary policy is an issue here as well. So to take an example, doing repos to keep the repo rate from uncoupling from the Fed funds rate, arguably there are issues related to transmission. Because, as he said, there's nothing magic about the federal funds rate. It's our indicator of the stance of monetary policy, but, presu but presumably we're aiming at financial conditions more broadly. It's not as if the Fed prints money and adds it to the entire economy, or as the media often describes QE, it's pouring trillions of dollars into the real economy. Everybody gets some money and off we go to the races. Or in the case of our current period, the Fed takes money out of the economy, or the ECB takes money out of the economy, and everything tightens up. It's even in the language that we use to describe these policies. We, the Fed tightens policy. The ECB is loosening policy. But what are they actually doing? They are signaling and hoping that signal becomes transmitted into the economy. You and me and everyone else will react to it in a predictable fashion. That's what this is all about. It's a common narrative that we all tell ourselves to believe that the Federal Reserve or whatever central bank is at the center of our universe. We believe that the Fed controls the costs of money. And if it makes money more expensive, that will mean it's more expensive for banks to issue credit. And if it's more expensive for banks to issue credit, 
then they'll restrict the amount of credit in the economy and the economy will itself be restrained. And if the economy is itself restrained, that means good things as far as the Federal Reserve is concerned about inflation or inflation risks. And it all is supposed to work in the opposite direction. When the Fed loosens monetary policy, they lower short-term interest rates. That's interesting. And that lowering of short-term interest rates is supposed to make it more profitable for banks to issue credit because they're borrowing in short-term markets and lending in long-term markets. Therefore, it's more profitable to borrow short-term markets, more profitable to issue credit long-term in the economy. The economy gets more credit and it picks up. But why doesn't that ever happen? The issue is, as Bernanke was talking about and Christine Lagarde constantly talks about, transmission. And transmission is a sort of fancy term about we start over here and the outcome is way over here. And something might happen in the middle where we start transmitting our signals that maybe don't get all the way to the end. Now, Ben Bernanke was talking about short-term trans or transmission in short-term money markets, whereas the ECB and its Transmission Protection Insurance Instrument, or TPI, that was about bond yields across the, across the entire Eurozone. But essentially, it's not so simple as pushing a button. The Fed, the ECB, central banks, they create signals that are then supposed to do something across a very complex, challenging and dynamic financial and economic landscape. Where did all of this come from? Well, it's modern central bankers, so you can bet that it's traced back to some fashion to Milton Friedman. And in this case, it's absolutely to Milton Friedman. And a book that he wrote called A Program for Monetary Stability published in 1960. It had a lot to say, but this was the main takeaway. There is much evidence that monetary changes have their effect only after a considerable lag and over a long period, and that the lag is rather variable. What he found was that peaks in the rate of change in the stock of money tend to precede peaks in general business by about 16 months and troughs in the rate of change in the stock of money to precede troughs in the general business by about 12 months. So when you hear the term variable and long legs of monetary policy, this is what they're referring to, that Friedman observed how when the money supply got to be constrained, we would go into something like a recession. And when the money supply troughed, the economy would bottom out a little bit later. But notice what he said. What he said is not what modern central banks do. He said changes in the stock of money. He didn't say changes in central bank interest rate policies. He also didn't say that central banks controlled the stock of money because that's at issue here. Friedman said changes in the stock of money, which is not the Federal Reserve. And the Federal Reserve or the ECB or any central bank, they don't even control the stock of money, nor do they even try. What they, just, what they do instead is control the stock of reserves. Let's go to Alan Greenspan in June of 2000. This is a quote I often come back to because it summarizes this transformation. Friedman said, the stock of money leads to changes in the real economy. But as Greenspan, you'll, you'll see in a moment, we don't know what the stock of money even is. Where do we even start? 
So unless I hear objections, I propose that we take advantage of this opportunity to stop doing something that I sense all of us have become uncomfortable with over the years, establishing money ranges of questionable usefulness that no one takes very seriously, or at least recently has taken very seriously. I think we have to monitor the various monetary aggregates because indeed there is information in them. And it is conceivable that at some point they will emerge again with some very useful relationship with respect to opportunity costs and income velocity. No, that's not true. At that point, obviously, we'll make more use of them. This is not to say that money is not relevant for the economy. For a central bank to say money is irrelevant is the deepest form of sin that an institution can commit. The problem is that we cannot extract from our statistical database what is true money conceptually, either in transactions mode or the store of value mode. One of the reasons, obviously, the primary reason, is that the proliferation of products has been so extraordinary, the true underlying mix of money in our money and near money is continuously changing. As a consequence, while of necessity it must be the case at the end of the day that inflation has to be a monetary phenomenon, a decision to base policy on measures of money presupposes that we can locate it. And that has become an increasingly dubious proposition. So what Greenspan was admitting more than 20 years ago was Friedman said, okay, the stock of money changes. We see after lags, we see changes in the real economy. If the money goes into the economy, the economy tends to pick up 12 to 18 months later. But Greenspan said, if we wanted to base a monetary policy that then controls the stock of money so that we can control the economy, we can't even do that. We don't know what the stock of money in the economy actually is. So what the Federal Reserve came up with in between at the, the early part of the 1980s was instead of trying to control the stock of money through something like quantitative targeting of bank reserves, because bank reserves are not money, instead they said, well, if we try to influence the behavior in the marketplace, if we, if we try to, to influence the stock of reserves for a given demand for reserves, we can change interest rates and interest rates will become the policy. They'll become the instrument that Milton Friedman was talking about. We're going to substitute an interest rate policy for this changes in the stock of money that isn't a central bank policy. Friedman said changes in the stock of money is determined by commercial banks in the economy. The Fed wishing to control the economy says we can't do stock of money. What if we do interest rates? Well, that leads to enormous amounts of complicated, convoluted activity, right? Because the Federal Reserve is saying we're going to change interest rates, which, as Ben Bernanke said, there is nothing magical or special about the federal funds rate. They're simply hoping that this signal then gets transmitted everywhere else. Transmission is the key here. Just uh, last year, in a speech delivered by Michael Patroff, who is the deputy governor of the Reserve Bank of India, and the speech was titled Lost in Transmission, Financial Markets and Monetary Policy, Patra describes exactly what the central banks do here. Again, they're hoping to influence short-term money markets through the control of the only thing that they can actually control. Patra said was, technically the responsibility of transmission as far as central banks are concerned is to ensure that the monetary policy impulse is fully and seamlessly reflected in the, in the money market. Hence money market rates, preferably the uncollateralized rate, which provides a sense of inframarginal demand for liquidity, not entire liquidity, some liquidity, 
are typically chosen as the operating target of monetary policy. By being the ultimate supplier of reserves, central banks have a dominant, not exclusive, a dominant influence on the money market, but not the entire money market either. They have a dominant influence on the market for reserves. And so we're making a whole bunch of assumptions here. We're assuming that this dominant influence on the market for reserves will have some further influence on the market for money itself. And that influence over the money market, the, mon the market for money itself will lead to some further influence over banks and credit policies, bank credit policies. And that bank credit policies will have some further influence on the behavior of the real economy. So from this one tiny signal from way down in one small corner of the entire global financial architecture, central banks claim then to be able to influence various different layers as we go forward into the real economy. As Patra says, a popular adage about monetary policy is that it operates with long and variable lags, echoing Friedman. In normal times, a rate of change takes up to one year for its peak impact on growth and up to two years for its peak impact on inflation. Again, Make one little tiny influence in the market for reserves, and that has an influence on the market for money itself, and that has an influence on banks and bank credit policy, and that has an influence on the real economy. One signal in an entire raging sea of dynamic factors. That's something that another central banker, this one from the Bank of England, she talked about in a speech earlier this year, how complicated it actually is. The Fed sells you on don't fight the Fed. We have this, we just press a button and everything happens. But as Catherine Mann was saying, the bank's monetary policy committee uses a single interest rate, the bank rate, that affects only a narrow set of financial institutions. How does that narrow conduit affect the behavior of households and firms and ultimately output in prices in the economy? Central banks rely on financial markets to pass through their policy choices in a way that is consistent with their intended consequences alongside the role for expectations. Household and firms then react to these changed financial conditions and in light of their own expectations, in light of their own expectations, which sub subsequently affects output and prices. And just look at the chart that she put together for how central bank policies are thought to work in theory. It's this convoluted maze of all sorts of factors, as I just said. The Fed or the ECB or the Bank of England or any modern central bank that aren't actually central banks because Greenspan admitted it, they start with this market for reserves and an unimportant rate for reserves and hope that that then affects all of these other further factors, markets, prices, behavior, and that it all works out with variable and long lags in the way that they're hoping. The Fed does not control interest rates. The Fed does not control even money rates. The Fed doesn't even know where money begins. And they'll say so if you put a gun to their head and make them admit it. Instead, what they're selling you is a narrative. And the narrative is that by controlling this little tiny thing down here, we can then influence bigger things in a sort of mushroom cloud of behavior that goes forward and further and spreads all over the entire global economy. From this little thing, we're supposed to believe these big things. Don't fight the Fed. Well, the Fed is way the hell down here in one small corner of the marketplace. Again, look at the Bank of England's stylized representation of the main channels of the monetary policy transmission mechanism. 
Look at how important they, they place a role and emphasis. Look at how much emphasis they place on things like expectations. Friedman said, changes in the stock of money lead to changes in the economy. The banking system, the economy itself, feedback's there. Money changes. The economy follows along. Central banks decided, well, it would be nice if we could harness that power to influence money and then therefore create price stability, employment maximization in the real economy. But what they realized very late 1980s forward is that they don't know what the stock of money is. So even if you wanted to control the stock of money, central banks aren't central banks, therefore they can't do it. So they've substituted this idea that they control the market for reserves and that the interest rate on the market for reserves will then influence all of these other major convoluted big time factors everywhere else. From this little thing to everything else. It is nothing like how it's described in the financial media. It's nothing like the, what we're told in all the economics textbooks. The reason why it had transmission problems in 2011. The reason why the ECB talks about its transmission protection instrument is because they don't actually exercise control or even that much influence. Instead, what's happening here is they're really trying to sell you a narrative. And by they, there's a couple different groups here. Central bankers would like you to believe, and as well as government officials would like you to believe in the idea of a technocratic institution that has the ability to do everything that it says it can do. But then you realize all of the stuff that central banks say they can do never seems to happen. Why is that? Transmission, must be something in the transmission. Transmission, it's all just a sales tactic. And the Fed would like to sell you on this idea of a technocratic institution, a competent technocratic institution. So it has to have some plausible sounding theories about how it can exercise precise technocratic control when the truth is anything but. The Fed does not control interest rates. The Fed doesn't even control the short-term interest rates. The Fed is the dominant influence in the market for reserves. And it's understandable why people make such a big deal out of it, but the market for reserves is just one tiny slice of a far greater, more complicated, more interesting and, and relevant global system. It's the euro dollar system that you worry about, not the Fed's policy. Another one of those fancy terms maintaining the facade of central bank influence is term premiums. And I did a video on them and what they mean for control or influence, lack of, and interest rates. That's the one linked below me. As always, I thank you for joining me. Huge thank you, Your Dollar University members and subscribers. And until next time, take care.